Thank you for listening to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast, other resources, and our church, please visit us online. We hope that today's message will be an encouragement and a help as you grow in your walk with God. As uh, we've been working our way verse by verse through these first couple of chapters here in the book of Luke, and uh, this morning we're going to do the same thing and uh, work through a few truths that I hope that you can take with you uh, as you head home and, and celebrate, spend time with family and with friends today. But we've been looking at responses, if you remember. We've been looking at responses to those that were confronted with either the announcement of the coming Messiah, or as today, as we get into it a little bit further, the actual arrival of Jesus the Messiah. We've seen so far Zacharias as he was confronted with the idea that he was going to be a father in his old age, was going to have a son. Of course, we know it would be John the Baptist, how he was going to be the the forerunner for the coming uh, of Jesus Christ and how he responded with unbelief. We've looked at how Elizabeth uh, responded with joy. We looked at how Mary responded with faith to the announcement. We also saw how John the Baptist responded in a spirit-filled way as he leapt for joy even in the womb as he understood and God gave that unique experience to Elizabeth that he knew that the one who would be born through Mary was, in fact, the promised Messiah. And so today, as we celebrate uh, and move into Luke chapter 2, and as we celebrate Christmas together, we're going to look at the actual arrival of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at uh, the response of those that were involved in it, and I believe there's some truths here that that can help us this morning. I'm going to try my best not to take a ton of time, and so we're going to move along quickly if you stay with me. And so let's go to Luke chapter 2, and we're just going to get right into it this morning. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Verse 4 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, they still were not yet married, they're still in this betrothal period, who was great with child. The first thing that we notice in this passage is that Jesus is born during a time when Israel was under Roman occupation. As we see here, there's Caesar Augustus, and then Cyrenius is also mentioned. These are two uh, men who are in positions of power, power that was given to them. And the children of Israel, God's people, I want you to understand at this point, are an oppressed people. They are a discouraged people. They are a people under occupation. It was a very difficult time. It was a desperate situation for many. And here we see this, uh, th- this challenging environment where, you know, we're in the Christmas season and we think of joy and we think of peace. I got to tell you, in Israel during this moment, there was no joy and there was no peace. They were under occupation. It was a difficult time. And then to add to it, the appointed uh, rulers who were from Rome or appointed by Rome decided that it was a good time for a taxation or a, and also a census uh, of the occupied people. Now think about it for a moment. You're in this position where you're under occupation. Your country is not your own anymore. You are told what to do. If a a Roman soldier tells you to go uh, and do something for him, you have to go. By law, you have to do that. And now on top of that, they want to add this taxation. They want to add this census to the people. 
And I can imagine that this announcement was a frustration for the people there. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that? Uh, you know, have you ever received that lovely brown envelope from the CRA in your mail? You know, you know what that feels like, right? Immediately, there's like a lump in your throat and your heart sinks and you're like, what did I do now? Or what do they want from me now? I gave them so much already. What, what's wrong? So imagine now they say, not only are you under occupation, but we need you to come in and you need to tell us how much land you own, you know, how much money you have. All of these uh, aspects now added on top of the fact that they're under occupation. And so it seemed like, just put yourself in that position, it seemed like in this moment that evil was going to continue to prevail. It would have seemed like to the children of Israel that there was no way out of this. But what I want us to see and understand this morning is that even though it seemed like things were impossible, there was still an invisible power behind these human rulers. They didn't even know it, but God was actually in the process of using these pagan rulers. He was using them to fulfill what he had promised long ago. There's two prophecies that are being fulfilled in this moment. The first one I want to mention is found in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, where it says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. That talks about the, the passing down of the, the kingdom until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. There's a unique aspect that's taking place here in Judah for the first time where the scepter, the ruling power, was taken away from them. Now, notice we see in this verse that until Shiloh, that's another reference to the Messiah, until the Messiah, the overcomer, comes, there was going to be a ruler in Israel. Israel was going to be in control of their own destiny for the most part, but now we see them in a position where it's, it's, it's impossible. But yet the promise was, the prophecy was, is that when that moment comes, when that scepter is removed from Israel, that therefore, or what we're going to see is that the Messiah then is on his way, he's going to be coming. So God is working behind the scenes to make these prophecies fulfilled. The second prophecy was one in Micah 5, 2, probably more well known by us, but in Micah chapter 5, in verse number 2, where he says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. What kind of ruler? Whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. So an eternal, everlasting ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. As the prophecy here is being uh, made possible because of these rulers. See, this census that was put in place made it possible or made it mandatory for Joseph to take his family to go into the city, Bethlehem, this small city just south of Jerusalem, some 144 kilometers from where they were living in Nazareth of Galilee. And he says, you're going to go all the way south and you're going to go to your place, not because he wanted to. He didn't want, nobody wants to, I mean, imagine if we had to all travel to, you know, the birth of our parents for taxation time. That would be terrible. If we had to buy tickets, you know, I got to find out how to go and go in a little courthouse and get the book out and verify that, yes, your dad was born here and therefore pay taxes to me. I mean, that would be terrible. But they had to make this long journey that they didn't want to make and all for the purpose, remember, to them, it didn't seem like it was the right thing. But to God, God was doing something behind the scenes. It was what brought Joseph to his hometown there of Bethlehem. One truth that I want us to get this morning out of this passage is that God's people never need to fear the laws of men. God's people never need to fear the laws of men. Because over those laws, the society that we are in, overruling those and in control of those and working behind the scenes is always God. He's always in control. God is always at work to fulfill his plan. And as usual, God's plan does not meet our expectations, does it? 
I like what Tim said. He talked about how it was, it was totally not what we would have done. The creator of the universe came up with a plan that none of us would have thought of. And then when we heard about it, we were like, I don't think I would have done that. But that tells us who our God is. He is so much greater and wiser than us. And he is working behind the scenes. And so we come to verse six where it says, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want you to notice that Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world is born where no child should be born. I want you to notice that. No child should ever be born in a stable among the animals. Now, if that's your story, man, I'm glad you're here today. <laughs> uh, but I, I, don't, I don't think that any child, man, I think about all of the anguish that I went through when our kids were being born and, you know, how much I questioned the hospital, you know, it was like, what, what, what are you guys doing, you know, and the nurses, and I had a problem with everybody because I was so nervous and so upset. I can't even imagine being in that situation where you're literally among livestock, among animals. And he's born where no child should be born. The God of the universe is laid in a smelly animal feeding trough. From the very beginning moments of his life, he was neglected and he was turned away by men. You know, if somebody had really cared about this family, he would not have been born in that situation. I also want us to notice that Jesus was born into poverty. We know that from his father's occupation, but we also understand that uh, from the fact that if Joseph had money, he could have made something happen. <laughs> he could have made something happen. He could have paid, uh, you know, I'll pay you double for the room. I'll pay you triple for the room. You know, it's like when you go to the hospital to have your kids, some of you know this, and they're like, do you have insurance, <laughs> you know, for a private room? No, I don't. How much is it going to cost me? I don't care. I want a private room, you know? And, uh, and, and he would have done that if he had money, but he didn't. Jesus was born into poverty. Jesus was born into obscurity. He was born into loneliness. He was born into a corruptible world that was full of sin and selfishness. I mean, think about it. His birth took place away from all people. They were completely alone. Even Mary herself. I mean, normally, you know, you have a child, if you've been a part of that experience, you know, the nurse takes the baby away and, you know, cleans them up and you're all like, careful, careful. And, you know, they clean them all up and they wrap them up and hand them back to you. I mean, Mary had to take care of all of that that is involved with the birth process. They were alone. The savior of the world was born in the most despicable of circumstances, the most despicable of environment. Yet even in his birth, he's teaching us something. And what we can learn is that before there is glory, there's first humility. Before there is glory, there is first humility. See, this is the way that the kingdom of God operates. And the example is seen in our savior, Jesus Christ. See, in scripture, the first will be last and the last will be first. God opposes the proud, right? But he gives grace to the humble. We are to humble ourselves before the Lord and in due time, he will lift us up. See, in the kingdom of God, there's always humility before glory. And we see it modeled for us right here in our Savior's birth. Because true greatness is not always visible greatness. And this is the, the picture that he's trying to get across to us here. You see here in the incarnation of the Son of God in an animal's feeding trough that reveals to us and puts for me it puts my own heart, which desires glory in myself, it puts me in check. It should put us in check. What I mean by that is, is that all of us desire and crave glory, don't we? We want to be noticed. We want people to pay attention to us. We want people to think that we are uh, something that we're not, or definitely we want them to think that we're better than we truly are. But in the example of our Savior, we see the Savior of the world, God, all-powerful, almighty God, come to us in such a humble way. Before he is glorified, before there is a glory revealed, which we're going to cover in a moment, 
he reveals humility to us. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said he knew, uh, he well knew how unwilling we are to be meanly lodged, clothed, or fed. How we desire to have our children decorated and indulged. How apt the poor are to envy the rich. How prone the rich to disdain the poor. But when we by faith, get this, when we by faith view the Son of God being made man and lying in a manger, our vanity, our ambition, our envy is checked. <laughs> like a defenseman putting that charging, uh, you know, offensive player into the boards, <laughs> you're stopped. Our envy, our pride is put in check when we see what Jesus did for us. We cannot, he said, I'll finish the quote. We cannot with this object rightly before us seek great things for ourselves, nor seek great things for our children. That really, that really hit me. That really hit me. Because even though those of you that are parents might say, ah, you know, I, I'm all good, you know, as long as I'm, you know, as long, everything's okay, I'm content. But we still seek with pride and with envy, even things for our children. And this puts it in check for us. This, this helps us to realize that before glory, there is humility. So where is the glory in this, in this situation? Where's the joy that today, you're like, man, this is kind of a downer, pastor. Where's the joy that we're supposed to be celebrating, we're to be excited about? Where, where is that? Because this birth of Christ looks nothing like we expected. Well, we don't see the glory of this passage until we continue on in verse number eight, where we see an announcement made to another group of lowly people. In verse eight, it says, and they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So here we're introduced to the shepherds. I know some of you have been waiting for this. When are we gonna talk about the shepherds? Well, here we're introduced to the shepherds. And the shepherds are out in the fields, and of course, the reason they would have been out in the field overnight at that time, it would have been during lambing season, typically around March or April, is kind of a, an idea that we best have of, of ancient Israel. And so they're out there, and they're watching over the flocks, and you have to understand, again, this is not glorious work. People did not lift up the shepherd. Behold, the shepherd, he cometh, right? Uh, not at all. <laughs> this was lowly work. Night shift, watching out, hoping, that, you know, looking to see if someone's going to have a lamb so you can run over there and help get it out and all of that kind of stuff was not the best shift, you know? Some of you don't like working second shift. Imagine the all-night shepherd shift. <laughs> you know, you're out there and you're, you're just listening for the sounds of, of a shepherd in labor. Besides that, shepherds had bad reputations. They had a, a terrible reputation. The nature of their work meant that they often did not observe Israel's ceremonial laws, which was, of course, you know, one of the worst things you could possibly do to the people. Uh, they were considered unreliable. They uh, could not even give. If you were a shepherd, you could not give testimony in a court of law. I mean, that, that's the situation here. Uh, they were a despised class of people. But I want you to know, but on that night, they were not despised. On that night, they were privileged to experience something so incredible, the glory of God being revealed. Let's look at verse nine. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore, what's that word? Afraid. So the angels appear and they are afraid. And the angel said unto them though, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So on that night, these lowly shepherds are out in the fields and an angel of the Lord stood before them. Something that we only see a handful of times in scripture where the angel of the Lord stood right in front of them. 
And here we see that they were filled with fear, they were filled with awe, they were filled with reverence to that moment. And to these lowly men, these uh, lowest stature of, of people, really, in society, we see the angel announce to them the greatest announcement, and I'll tell you this, with some of the highest theology that you would find in Scripture. These despised shepherds are the first to receive the announcement of the gospel. They are to receive the news that great joy to all people is coming. They were the first ones to understand that the gospel message that is given to them was not only for Israel, but it was also for the entire world. Did you see that there? In verse number, uh, verse number 10, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So these guys received the gospel for the first time. They were the ones who got to experience it. These despised men hear the most wonderful thing about how joy came to this world. And it comes through the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I don't know if you knew this, but this is the only time in the gospels that this phrase is used, where we see him referred to the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, and also the Lord. See, this Savior that was promised here, this promised Messiah would be the one who would save his people from their sins. And most incredible of all, here's what I want you to get. Most incredible of all is that he is the Lord. He is God. He is the creator of all things. Remember, the Jews were looking for a military leader, right? They're under occupation. They're waiting for this great leader to come in who's going to, you know, get rid of Rome and push them back to Rome. And man, we're going to be a a nation again. And he's going to sit on the throne and he's going to be in control. That's the kind of Messiah that they were looking for. And so they were looking for an individual, a person. Even uh, many of the prophecies that we talked about, they still equated that to a human, But what they did not understand is that the true Messiah, the one who was going to come, was going to be, yes, fully man, but also fully God. It was going to be God himself, the creator of all things. He was going to be the one who was going to come. And to them, that would have been just absolutely mind-blowing, that it was God, actually God himself, Yahweh, the one who came. He came. He's the one who came to be the Messiah. And these angels reveal his true identity to these guys. Here's what's so incredible is that God is giving these lowly shepherds, uneducated typically, he's giving them some of the deepest and richest theology and teaching that we find in scripture, and he's giving it to lowly people. I think what we can understand is that God wants everyone to know him in that way. Regardless of your education, regardless of your background, regardless of whether or not you think you're something, God wants you to know him. God wants you to understand the gospel, and the gospel is for everyone. And I love how it's the poor that receive this gospel for the first time. It's the, it's the down and out. It's the ones who are struggling, who are just laboring, laboring just to make ends meet. And that's who God reveals himself to the most. You know, it's amazing that it's in the darkness that God reveals himself to us in the greatest way, isn't it? And we see this right from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God revealing himself to people that you and I maybe won't even want to have lunch with because of the smell. <laughs> but yet God reveals himself to them. This incredible, incredible truth. Well, the announcement is not over. Let's look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. Notice this, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
See, when the angel had finished preaching the gospel to the shepherds, this choir came in for a closing song. And it was not a small event, okay? This wasn't like three or four shepherds like shuffling in and bumping each other, you know, like it's some Christmas play, right? Like, all right, let's sing, ready? Okay, no. This was a multitude, notice, of the heavenly hosts. In scripture, we understand uh, this word host to mean 10,000 times 10,000. Quick math. That's a lot. (laughs) I don't even know. That's a lot. So I don't know if God gave these shepherds a glimpse into the eternal realm or if he actually allowed them to be a part of the physical realm. We don't know exactly how this happened, but they saw and had this special sight and saw and heard this amazing announcement. And the angels did two things here in their announcement. First of all, they cried out for glory to be lifted up to God. That was the first thing. And in all of our lives, that should be the first thing. Glory to God. We need to give God all of the glory for everything that he has given to us. And secondly, they declared and cried out that there would be peace and goodwill. There would be mercy from God towards men. How incredible is that? That's the song. The song, if you want to condense it down, is glory to God and God wants to give peace to you. God wants to touch you. God wants to reach you. God wants to speak to you. When they said peace here, when they say peace, goodwill toward men, they are talking about the peace of reconciliation between God and man. That's what this goodwill between God and man is, where the alienation and the separation and the struggle and the divisiveness and the restlessness and the fear that is caused from our sin uh, can be solved in the way that it is solved through reconciliation with making things right with God, the one who can possibly save us. And so they're praising God that the separation that had been very well felt in the world, the separation had been solved through the birth of the Savior who is Christ the Lord, the one who is able to do it. And so they give this incredible announcement, this song is given to them, and then we continue in verse 15, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, what was that? Okay, no, sorry, that's in the Greek. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. They're like, hey, let's go check it out, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, that's quickly, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. These guys got to be the first ones on the scene. First responders, you know, <laughs> they went from uh, helping to birth uh, sheep to going and seeing the lamb of, of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Man, that's huge. <laughs> and they are the first ones there. And when they had seen it, verse number uh, 17, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered. So those that heard what they had said, they wondered, they marveled, they were amazed at those things which are told them by the shepherds. So they come and they find Jesus and his parents in the stable. And when they hear it and when they see it, I want you to notice along the way they are telling everyone, they're telling people about the truth. Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. As we close this morning, I want you to see a pattern that's laid out here in these last few verses. And it's a pattern that should be reflected in all of us. It's a pattern that should be repeated in our lives, those of us who've experienced the arrival of Jesus Christ, those of us who've experienced his salvation. The pattern that we see here is that the shepherds, when they heard the news, they began to tell others. They began to teach other people, essentially, They begin to tell them, this is what we heard. This is what we saw. This is what is going to happen. We also see that Mary 
When she heard all of these things, it says that she pondered these things. She treasured those things in her heart. She reflected on them. She looked around the room and she considered what it was that God was doing in that moment. Do you ever have those kind of reflective moments where you just sort of sit back and you just look around and you say, man, this is like, man, God is doing something. God is working. It's amazing to see. And you sense the, the Spirit's presence. You sense God at work in your life. That's what Mary did. She sat back and she pondered it. It was a treasured moment for her. And then we see as we look at the verses here, the shepherds, as they left, they went out, notice, and they glorified and they praised God and they told other people about what they had seen. Here's the pattern. Here's the pattern when it comes to the truth of the Messiah. Teach, treasure, and tell. That's pretty easy to remember, right? Teach, treasure, and tell. This is what it comes down to, the Christmas message and the Christmas uh, truth, really, is that we need to take what we've heard, we need to teach others about it. Remember, earlier on, it says that when they told them, the people marveled. That means they understood. They, they were amazed. They were amazed at what they'd heard. And we need to treasure that truth. We need to ponder it. We need to think about it. We need to hold it when somebody asks you, why do you celebrate Christmas? The first thing isn't presents, right? <laughs> no, because there's a truth that I've treasured. There's something that's built up within me that God is doing in my life. And then we always have the message to tell. The message of the manger is come and see and go and tell. <laughs> go and tell others what Christ has done for you, what God has done in your life. And we see this pattern here in this scripture. So I want to ask you this morning, you know, can there be any other response to the message of God's mercy given to a sinful fallen world? Can there be any other response to seeing the glory of God? And that's what these shepherds show us here. They told others, Mary pondered it, and they continued to spread the news that the miracle of the incarnation, Christ coming to this earth, the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, should move us in such a way that it affects us inwardly, and it also pushes us to tell others about the truth. So as we go home here in a few moments and we spend time with our family and friends, and I hope that all of you have that opportunity to do this over these last couple of days, I hope that at some point you'll remember these three words, teach, treasure, and tell. Teach, treasure, and tell. And how God can use that in your life to make a difference in somebody else's. See, what I love so much about the shepherds is that they impacted others in a pretty powerful way. They marveled. They were amazed. And I want to tell you, church, that there are people in this world who are hopeless, that are struggling, that are suffering, and they marvel. They marvel at you. And you might say, there's nothing worth marveling about in my life. And that may be true. It's true in all of us, by the way, if we're truly humble. But there is one thing and that is you have a savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, who loves you, who gave himself for you, and he can give you a peace that passes all understanding that others will marvel at. They will take notice, they will see it, and they see it in you, but we've gotta have that same position as these shepherds and the same position as Mary. We, there has to be that humility, recognizing that if our savior can humble himself to be born in a, a feed trough, then most certainly I can remove from my life any kind of pride and things that, that hide the truth of, of Christ to them. And we can make a difference. We can really make a difference. 
And I'm thankful that we have a difference-making God, that there is something to celebrate today. There is something to celebrate today. And it's not you and it's not me. (laughs) It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And we're so thankful that he sent his son to this earth to be born in a manger, to be revealed on the cross, to be glorified in the resurrection so that you and I could one day be glorified with him. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.